James 4, please. James 4. I'm going to take the negative aspect first. Prayer is a subject that is um, broad and deep, and is a subject that, as we discover what God has for us, is one that we kind of have to peel back layers. It's easy to say, I pray about things. Or, if someone comes to us, oh, I'll pray for you, and it's something that we get in kind of a Christian jargon that um, it's easy to promise. And then when we pray, or if we remember to pray, um, what has it accomplished? Well, this, this evening, I'm going to continue from a couple weeks ago, this idea of prayer, and particularly John 4, 3, and answering the question, why is it sometimes that God does not seem to answer our prayers. But before we get there, we need to set a baseline of what God is doing, who he is, and uh, to see his promises. So keep your finger in James 4, and then we'll, after we pray, we will look in Matthew, John, and Mark, and we'll see what Christ had to say about prayer, and then we'll come back and get James' instruction for us. Let's pray, and uh, we'll d- dive into God's word. Gracious God, thank you so much for the power of your word, and for the goodness that you've shown to us for your great love. And Father, we thank you that you have provided for us prayer, and something, Lord, that as we grow in you, we, we long to learn more of who you are and how to interact with you in prayer. So God, I pray that in our time today, we would see your hand see your faithfulness, see our hearts, and may we respond to you in such a way that brings God glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So what do we know about prayer? Is there a requirement, maybe a standard, for the quality or for the character of the one who prays? Is there something that we would say, well, Lord requires this or that of us in prayer? Well, there are famous verses connected to prayer that we we think about and uh, hopefully we respond to as we see what God's doing. And so I want to mark those first. I'm not going to deep dive into it this time. We may go back in a couple of weeks uh, after, particularly after after the Vacation Bible School. Um, We may do some deep dives in these, but right now I'm going to look in the the overall big pictures of these passages so that we can understand them. Let's go first to Matthew. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. I'll give you some time to turn there. Matthew 7 is a, is a passage on prayer that instructs us in a large, uh, important way. And it's one that we are familiar with, aren't we? Matthew 7. You found it, look this way, and uh, well, I know you're almost ready. There we go. I'll scroll through, but I'd rather for you to to also walk through on your copy of God's Word and underline or highlight or do whatever you do uh, to remember it. So, first of all, Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, 
when his son asked for a loaf, bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Hopefully not. Some of you might. No. If you then, being evil, and understand he's saying in the context, in comparison to God, we are but evil. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Now think about this for a minute. What is Christ teaching first and foremost in this passage? Think, think, before you answer. What is God revealing about himself? Hmm? Pretty simply, boil this down, is that God is revealing the uh, the compassion and the generosity that is inherent in the character of God. He makes a comparison, does he not? Between the fathers on earth and the heavenly father. If the earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children when they ask, what, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Here in this passage, yes, is commanding us to ask, to seek, to find... But it's more importantly highlighting the nature of God. I think about the nature of our God. His compassion, his, his generosity is bound up in the, in the character of God. Okay, so with this as a baseline, that our God is compassionate, is generous, and that is his inherent being, that is the character of our God, So hold that, let's go to another passage. The next passage is in John 14, 13. John 14, 13. In John 14, 13, Jesus is speaking, obviously here, and he says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So another invitation to ask, isn't it? Just as in Matthew 7, John 14, says, gives us another invitation to ask. Whatever you ask. So the invitation is understood. So you will ask, won't you? You will, you will make that request. He gives a stipulation you're asking in my name. But what else? That the Father may be glorified. The request that I will do, that I will fulfill are the ones that glorify the Father in the Son. And here, God is teaching us that the glory of God is the purpose to our prayers. You say, wait a second, the purpose of our prayer is to speak to God and to commune with Him, yes. But in the request phase, the part of us requesting of beseeching or pleading of God, the purpose... God desires to fulfill is that he is glorified as he answers those requests. The character of God first is to give. Compassion, generosity. 
Secondly, as he does so, he desires that his name, the name of his son, the father himself, all this, that his name receives glory in the fulfilling of the requests. Okay, so here's, here's our, our picture. And really what we're doing is not, not really focusing on us at all. We're filling out a picture of God, aren't we? It's how God interacts with his children. So let's go to one last passage. That passage is Mark 11. Mark 11. Mark 11, he talks about faith. Um, and he says, truly I say to you, in verse 23, Mark eleven twenty-three. whoever says to this mountain, and you can, you can think of Christ as he's sitting there and Maybe they're on the side of the hill. Maybe they're walking through a valley. Maybe they, he points to the mountain. It could be as small as the Mount of Beatitudes, which is a kind of a hill going into the Galilee. Or it could be the cliffs of Arbel, which are huge, gaping uh, cliffs that, that fall down into a valley uh, where the king's highway would come through. He could say, whichever one, but you, I can I see in my mind's eye a casual gesture that says, I truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. And you can, you can think of what they're, they're, really? This? Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. What's he teaching? Everything you want, you get? Not necessarily. He's teaching you this, teaching me this, that faith is the necessary ingredient for prayer. Faith indeed is necessary trusting the God not only is good, generous, and kind and will give good gifts, not only is he a great God, And not only is the glory of God the purpose of his answering, but here we must believe. Um, A time in Christ's life that I'll often think of uh, when I think along these lines. As he's going about it healing. And he is, um, he's doing so many good works for people who are, are lame and deaf and blind and sick and he's healing them. He says he comes to a city, and he says he did not do many works there. Same Christ, same ability to heal. Why? He did not find much faith there. Those people didn't come and say, Lord, would you heal me? They didn't come in request of Christ. They didn't come and beseech him. They didn't either have the faith that he could do it, or they doubted. They didn't have the faith that he was the one of the Messiah that could do that. Either would or could, they did not have faith that he would, he would answer those prayers. Faith is a necessary ingredient. All of these are promises, all real promises, so why don't we see our prayers answered? If God is a good God, if God desires to answer prayers for his glory, and that God comes to us and asks that we believe and trust that he will do what he said he will do, 
why don't our prayer why aren't our prayers answered? And James four gives us a little insight. It's not the only reason we don't see our, our, our prayers answered, but I want to go to one of the most egregious first. You know, we start with the worst condition as I study through this, and then we'll work through uh, the other ways, and we'll see God answer prayer and why He answered prayer later on as we in this study. So go to James four. And in order to understand what James is writing about, um, we'll, we'll begin in verse 1 of James 4 to kind of see him turn the corner from 3 to 4. Um, 3, he's talking about the wisdom is first pure, uh, from above is pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the reason the wisdom is important, because he said earlier, if you lack wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. And he will give it to him, liberal, generously. So understand the, the connection that James is making, very in 17, that wisdom that you would ask for, well, here in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says this, what is the source of quarrels? And conflicts among you is not the source of your pleasure, pleasures that wage war in your members. Uh-oh. So he's talking to a people who have evidently not asked for that wisdom. Or they would be different. They would act differently. They've not asked for that. He says, what is the source of quarrels? Evidently, there was. The people he's writing. So he's writing to the saints uh, dispersed, James is. And they've gone up from Jerusalem, they've gone out, the persecution, they've sent them out. And so Asia Minor, they're going all through these areas that he's writing. And he said, there's conflict there. There's some, there's some problems here. What is it? Well, what is the source? It's the source is your desires that wage war in your members. Now, understand, uh, maybe the members he's referring to here is not the members of our own body, arms, legs, but the members in the body of Christ. Remember in... Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, we're fitly joined together as members of one of another. He said there are cores, there, there are problems, there are things raging, there's strife, there's war there, there's conflicts. It all stems, the source is your pleasures, your desires. He's going to expound on what kind of desires there are here next. So the conflict is sourced in competing pleasures or competing desires. Okay, that's where the conflict coming in the group there. These pleasures and lusts consume us. And so he says in verse 2, you lust and do not have. Understand, uh, the word lust in the New Testament is an intense desire. Every time, but I believe it's three um, times in the New Testament, the, it's in a connotation of a bad light. Other times it's intense desires, it's in a good light. So you look at the context. Obviously, here we see this is one that's set in an evil uh, in a context that is negative. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now, the, the commentators go back and forth. Well, were they really committing murder? Well, I think we don't know that, that answer, but we probably would think that, um, as Jesus said, if you hate someone in your heart or murder, you commit murder here. You are envious and cannot, cannot obtain so you want something, you want what the other person has. You have intense desires that are running the wrong way. Uh, you're, envy, you're envying and you cannot attain. So you fight and you quarrel. Okay, so you're, you're fighting. You're, you're, you have strife 
and, and uh, an opposition going on, so you do not have because you do not ask, which is kind of a, a weird juxtaposition. Why is he talking about asking? Yeah, well, still, James is running through the, the flow of wisdom, of asking for that, and of asking God of, of things, for things. He says, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. Why did they not ask? Well, possibly because they, they didn't want to acknowledge God. And if he's speaking to believers, they've got to the point in their lives where I don't want to ask God for that. I can do it myself. Or maybe there's some shame built into this. We don't know exactly. Maybe it's the shame of, I better not ask God for that because it's, it's such an evil desire that I don't want to ask God for it. But he's saying, you do not have because you do not ask. So in the context of asking, they're not even asking. In the context of a passage that says, ask of God, he'll give you wisdom. Liberally, generously, they're not even asking. In our payoff verse here, verse 3, you ask, now, and when you do ask, if you might think of it that way, and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James says, even when you do ask, there are times here in these people's lives that they're asking of wrong motives, wrong reasons. Now, maybe the light went off a little bit in your head because you said, well, that second verse that we looked at in John 14 talked about the will of God and will of the Father. Could that possibly be some of the wrong motives? Yes, it could be. It could be wrong motives. It could be wrong motives that's not glorifying to God. Maybe it's not helpful for the body. Maybe it's not helpful for other people, but it's selfish. We see this, these intense desires, wanting what I want um, idea. And he goes on, so you may spend it freely. Spend freely is, is kind of the idea on your pleasures. And so here we have an instance where a people will ask for something from God and not receive it. They will not receive the answer to their prayer. And so what's our reaction when we don't receive the answer from, of my prayer? I, do I say, and maybe I do, I say, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? I prayed to you, didn't I? I wouldn't like the end of verse 2 that you don't even ask. I prayed, don't I get any spiritual brownie points for that? I asked, didn't I? And then we come to this point of examining our motives. Why do we pray for the things that we pray? Why do we spend time going to God, maybe this asked a different way, going to God and asking for things that are selfishly and evilly motivated. Now understand the context. He's not saying don't pray for yourself and pray for things. He's talking about the reason that you desire these things. In the context of one and two of wrong motives. I want this so that I might be rich. I want this so I might whatever, fill in the blank. The motives are evilly motivated. The motives are, it's redundant again. Uh, the motive are, motives are evil. And so he's saying, do not ask for those, motive, for those things and those motives. Now, 
I wonder as we pray sometimes, if we go through a mental checklist of what we're praying, for things which we are praying, and saying, is this for the glory of God? Is this, by the receiving of this, will I be able to glorify God in this? Some things uh, we want that if you were to receive, we couldn't say, praise the Lord, he gave me this, because it's evil. We're selfishly motivated. Other things, though, as we pray, knowing that God is a generous God, we pray earnestly for those because we will use that for the glory of God and his kingdom. And so we pray, we have warrant, spiritual, scriptural warrant to pray for these things. We pray for sick. We pray for healing. We pray for success. We pray for, as Paul did, utterance and, and, the, and the words to say as we give the gospel. And those are always praying in, in God's will. Giving the gospel, Lord, give me the, the opportunities. Not only the opportunity, but the words. And, and the, not only words, but fit words for those times. Lord, if it be your will, heal me so that I may continue to serve you. Knowing that God's will is perfect, his thoughts and his ways are so high above our ways, and we will yield our will to his gladly, but we may approach, we may bring our request to him because he's a generous, compassionate God for those things but we may not bring requests to him that will feed our selfish desires. Wrong motives. Wrong motives. So I wonder, how do we pray? I want to close this with a, another example of prayer. And I'm going to skip ahead of my slides uh, because I've talked through all of them. And this is, a mess, this is an example of prayer that is, I think, one of the most familiar in the world. Um, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. In Luke here, uh, or in Matthew here, uh, that was in Luke, in, in, in Matthew, in this passage, Jesus comes and says, pray then in this way. We know this as the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven hallowed, reverenced, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Pause there a minute in the context of our discussion in James 4, 3. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What Jesus is saying is to pray, is to pray that the, the work of God, the gospel kingdom work of God will, will come and will grow. You see how our prayers are to be motivated for God's work and God's kingdom. Sometimes we, we I know I do, you get wrapped up in this little life and everything that affects me is so important. And you forget there's a, a broader reality and a world around us that needs Christ and the gospel. And so as I pray, I pray, I must pray for the, for the work of the kingdom to be accomplished through me. And I pray for God's will to be done.
God's will, not mine. God's will. On earth, just as it is in heaven. And look, Jesus does allow us to pray for things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember the period in our lives, um, it wasn't quite praying for the daily bread, but it was, we prayed for the daily contract. Uh, so we, it was like first year of business and web development. And uh, you step out and you, you know, God was obvious, obviously leading us to do this. And he wanted a time of faith that would be um, so intense that later on, he knew that I needed that. Uh, this is mm, five or six years before he called me to preach. And so we would pray for, the, not the daily contract, but the weekly contract. Uh, and, uh, you know, with uh, Vicky's employment, the school for the kids was fine, and there was some money there, but we had just built a house, and uh, so we had to pay for that somehow. <laughs> and we, we, I do like my pecan rolls and cinnamon rolls every once in a while. Um, cinnamon rolls, good stuff. Uh, and so I, we prayed. We prayed. And we prayed for the very simplest of things, Lord. Would you give us a contract so we might have food? It wasn't like, I never got to the point. You never noticed my clothes getting really loose on me, of course. Uh, those of you know me. It wasn't that, that dire. It wasn't... Um, the worst case scenario you've ever heard about and told stories of, but it was a time when God said, listen, I am responsible for your daily bread, so ask me. It is within my will to supply your needs. And so pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, We're going to look at this passage later on. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Here's what I want to leave you with. As we pray, it's God's will, not mine. God's will, not mine. His motives, not mine. It's a simple rule of thumb. As we pray, as we beseech God, and we, we come to him and plead for him. Pray for his will to be done. You pray for his motives, meaning the work of the gospel. Men and women, boys and girls coming to him. Souls saved, souls brought into his kingdom. His will, his motives, his work, not my own. So the checkup. With this negative passage in James 4, 3, understand that the positive is, of, is where we live where we must live as believers. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you for, for loving us in such a way that you have opened an avenue of prayer to us. And it is almost beyond our comprehension. We know it's true because you have said so, but you allow us to approach the throne of grace. And we do so by our Savior, we thank you for a Savior who ever pleads for us. As the writer of Hebrew tells us often, one who stands and pleads on our behalf, one who intercedes. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that interprets our, uh, the times in our lives when we cannot but utter words, but we utter just help. 
and groanings, you understand, oh God. And we praise you that we can come and pray. And so, Father, order our prayers according to your will. May we, as your children, seek your kingdom above ours, your motives above ours, your will above ours. And so, Lord, as we do so, may we see, as we pray in faith, great answers of prayer. May those who pray here and our body begin to see you do wonderful and miraculous things for your glory, for the glory of our dear Savior. May we pray in faith to you, the God who hears, the God who answers. Thank you for being a compassionate and a generous God. We praise you. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.